Martin Luther sermons, sermon for the first Sunday after Christmas, second sermon, preached at the parish church in the year 1535. The text is Luke chapter 2, verse, verses 33 through 40, the account of Jesus' visit to the temple and his visit with Simeon and Anna. The sermon. This gospel opens on a happy note as aged, pious, God-fearing Simeon joy, joyously expressed the wish that he might die. As Luke states, he is filled with a keenly perceptive spirit as he holds the child in his arms and acknowledges him not only as his personal Savior, but also as the Savior of the entire world and a light to the Gentiles. This recognition fills him with such joy that he is willing to depart this life, sta stating, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. In other words, Lord, I am now happy to die. That is certainly a tremendous mood change for this man, that death is now dearer than life. He considers his death and departure from this world a journey into peace and blessed days. Such a spirit is not of human origin, but the work of the Holy Spirit. The beginning of this blessing is joyous, but note how disconsolate is the ending. Simeon is happy and wishes no longer to live, not even a moment. He knows that his blessedness begins the moment he dies, but he speaks a strange blessing over this child and to the mother, Mary, when he says, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. Would you call that a comforting blessing? For Simeon all is well, for he can say, In peace and joy I depart. But for the mother and child he leaves a taste of life's bitterness. The child is destined to be a stumbling block to many in Israel, the focal point of contention, and a sword would pierce the mother's soul. This blessing was not meant to pertain only to the child Jesus and his mother Mary. It was written also for our instruction that we thereby might understand what the world is like, as Simeon himself said that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. In other words, the reason that the child was set for the rise and fall of many in Israel, and that a sword would pierce the mother's heart, was to lay bare the thoughts of people's hearts, which otherwise would have remained concealed. Through the gospel, the world's greatest maliciousness was revealed, evil that neither I nor even any apostle believed could possibly exist, but by the gospel's coming it was exposed to the light of day. Before this, before the Gospel's advent, there were many eminent, upstanding people under the papacy. They conducted themselves honorably and piously, people of exemplary goodwill. One would swear they were pious, trustworthy individuals. The world at its best focuses on people's skill, wisdom, education, and honored station. These are exemplary, smart, honorable, pious, intellectual people as long as the Gospel does not expose them. For such people, however, under the light of the gospel, as Simeon said, Christ, the Christ child, is set for a fall. Accordingly, in the spiritual realm, the devil, first of all, disguises himself as an angel of light. He initiates so much beautiful pretense, such sanctimonious orders and spectacular rituals that the whole world is mesmerized. Onlookers eat up the pa pageantry and feigned devotion, acknowledging that those are indeed beautiful worship services, most devout, God-fearing people, and exemplary, humble fathers. 
As a result, common sense was totally captivated by such beautiful pageantry judged either by worldly or spiritual standards, so that if it had not been exposed, the devil had a field day midst beautiful pageantry and most glorious and holy. Solomon sums it up in Ecclesiastes 8 verse 14. There is a vanity which is done upon the earth, that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the works of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the works of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. In other words, the godless carry on in a godless manner and lifestyle, yet their name and reputation in the world is splendiferous. And they even enjoy the world's gratitude and praises as though they were the best and most God-fearing people on earth. Reason, seemingly, cannot judge otherwise. But once the gospel of the child Jesus takes effect, then those whom the world deemed holy become the greatest sinners, the wise greatest fools, the sages foremost dunces, and the quiet gentle hearts the bloodiest murderers. The gospel has no more vicious enemies than individuals the world deems eminent, sensible, wise, virtuous, and God-fearing, be they man or woman, peasant or urbanite, nobleman or commoner. Indeed, the more endowed with these virtues, the greater and more hostile enemies of the gospel they become. It's the same story among the religious. The more a monk is steeped in rules and orders, the more fanatical about prayers and fasting, rules and orders, the more antagonistic and insimal the gospel does his way of life become. As Solomon says, the world operates in both spheres, the religious and the secular realm, though the later gets the greater honor. In the secular realm, conceit goes hand in glove with virtue and noble, uh, and noble, maybe nobility. While in the religious, there is the multiplying of religious exercises, prayer, fasting, and the like, suggesting that both are perceived to be little short of angelic and beloved of God. The religious become of, the religious because of their great great sanctity, the worldly because of their great wisdom and virtue. Who would believe that under such pretense? lies hidden a poisonous heart. In the whole wide world there is no rule book nor skill to fathom or judge this hypocrisy except Simeon's sermon about the Christ and the Holy Gospel. This exposes the poisonous ulcer so that everyone can see the evil and dangerous poison lying below the surface. Once the Gospel sounds forth into the world, however, it antagonizes these same fine, pious people. These beautiful saints are exposed before the world for what they are, nothing more finely than conceited murderers, liars, and venomous evil knaves. The world has many a fine prince, well-educated with intelligence, wisdom, and common sense, who leads an honorable life, sincerely wishes to be a role model for his people, is not greedy nor a rounder, but a man who sincerely tries to be on top of things in the interest of justice, and is a chaste, faithful husband. In truth, were we to choose an individual to govern in public office, we would elect such a person, a man whom we could really trust and praise as being a wise, pious, God-fearing prince, especially when compared with the sanctimonious pretense of the papistry with its prayers, fasting, devotions, endowed altars, chapels, churches, and elaborate liturgies, all so diligently pursued to the amazed awe of the people. But when the gospel takes hold, you find that it's all nothing but blatant hypocrisy on the part of such pious lords, as proved by their deeds. They are heinous murderers who have shed much innocent blood, 
engaged in shameful practices, and as they stumble over the gospel, fall into one sin after another, trying in every which way to obstruct and hinder the gospel. We are compelled to say, who would ever have believed that such a great sinner could be hiding under such a fine, pious life? Only the Holy Gospel exposes such filth and antithope. The poison comes to light. No one would even have expected to find such godlessness among respected people of the nobility and general populace, such despising of God, such persecution of God's word. It is only the gospel of Christ which brings this to light. It is when the gospel is proclaimed for all to hear that it becomes evident that people in surprise come to say, Truly, I never would have believed that such devilish, murderous poison could be found in such pious, wise, God-fearing people. I would have supposed that anyone who accepted the gospel and posed under the name Christian would be spiritual and God-fearing. Now, however, we find that the gospel has no more vehement, furious enemies than the Pope with his cardinals, bishops, academies, doctors, monks, priests, the ones that could be expected to promote the gospel with all diligence. Simeon indicated this to Mary, that the child whose mother she was would cause great hubbub in the world by exposing all of those who pose and parade as living saints. Then people's innermost thoughts would be laid bare and exposed. They would say, that man who appears so pious to the world and who, because of his intelligence, virtue, piety, devoutness, was given rule over the world and the keys to the gates of heaven, harbors within him a spirit of hostility, in reality vengeance, hatred, terrible blasphemy, disdain for God's word, idolatry, murder, and evils beyond telling. He cannot bear to hear or defend God's word and the truth, but fosters idolatry, strangles the people with it, and smothers the gospel, and, if he could but extinguish the gospel, would even drown the land and its people in blood. This little child will expose all this evil that dwells in people's hearts to the light of day, Simeon states. I would never have believed that by the precious gospel's advent so much evil in the world would have been revealed. Indeed, I assumed that everyone would leap for joy when they had heard that they had been released from popedom's ad abomination, oppressive burdening and constraint of conscience, and that now by grace through Christ they possessed treasures for which they formerly struggled at untold cost, effort, and work. I especially thought the bishops and universities would accept this wholeheartedly, but what happened? Because of such preaching, they trample over us and none are more hostile than the spiritual leaders and the universities. If I had known this before I started to preach and write, I would not have opened my mouth or lifted a pen, but would have said, Dear sirs, if you can't stand the truth, go to the devil whose you are. But God did well in that he did not let me know this ahead of time. In his secret counsel, he purposed for me to continue to preach and remained under the assumption that they were pious, devout, God-fearing people until the time was right to reveal the way their inmost thoughts to reveal the way their inmost thoughts really were. Through the gospel, we rightly learn to know the devil and his cohorts, namely, that he is an enemy of God, and so also the world, even where it appears to be most devout and pious. I never would have believed this before, nor that such great despising of God's word could be found in the heart of any man. Not that the gospel, now that the gospel has come, the hearts of men are exposed to show how they despise God's word and the preachers of God's word, and how these beautiful angels are really nothing but devils. 
I now see that Pope, Bishop, Princes, Nobles, Burghers, and Peasants are fully of the devil, because not only will they not accept the saving teaching, but also purposefully despise and persecute it. Before the revelation of the gospel, I did not perceive this devilish malice in people, but rather thought them filled with the Holy Spirit. But with his word, Christ reveals the thoughts of many hearts, so that we become aware of what is really in them, namely that even well thought of, eminent, sensible, honorable people are under the devil's power, and that they harbor the worst possible rage and poisonous fury against the gospel and its servants. Why has God made this known? For our instruction, but also for our comfort. For our instruction, so that we don't become frightened when we see that such eminent, wise, excellent, honorable, pious people can be such devils, causing us to stay in astonishment. How is it that such an eminent prince, such an honorable citizen, such a devout spouse can be so blind and harbor such ill will that he or she cannot abide God's word and becomes a foe of God? The gospel here explains the reason why. Before this, the thoughts of the heart were hidden, but now the revealer of hearts and minds, as he is called, has come. He cuts to the quick so that people's thoughts, things which they neither, which neither they nor others had previously been aware of, are now in the open, brought to light and exposed, so that one can now say, once a gentle, friendly man, but now a devil in reality. It is true that the gentle, pious man, whom we considered to be so God-fearing, was actually in his heart an evil devil. But he was so beautifully camouflaged that his heart and thoughts were not revealed. Now, though, when the gospel spotlights his thoughts, it becomes apparent that they have been vain lies, deception, and murder. Everything about the world, from the noblest lord to the most humble servant, is tainted with fraud. The more sensible, the more honorable, the more pious, the more God-fearing these people appear, the greater and more shameful is the hypocrisy. The world does not see or understand this. But when the child Jesus comes with his gospel, he reveals that they are filled with poison and blasphemy. Most likely it has always been like this. They appear to be very devout, ornamented with virtue, reputation, and justice, but it's a covering and shield from what's underneath in their guts. But by the gospel our Lord God opened a window, as Simeon says, for all to see, and now they no longer can hide what's underneath. But such revelation also serves to comfort hearts. Although the world will not abide or tolerate God's word and yet wears its hip hypocritical mask, we are not to be deceived but straightway conclude that all their good behavior, holy semblance, wisdom, and righteousness are nothing more than hypocrisy, patent sin, and damnation before God. The godless of this world expect to gain heaven the way St. Paul speaks of the Pharisees, Acts 26, verse 5. They were the strictest of sects, uh, sects assidio, assiduously pursuing their code of rules day and night for the sake of the promised eternal life, compelled by this hope of being eternally saved. Our monks and hypocrites do the same today, believing that through fasting, prayer, and the like they will be saved. Whoever sees this, not knowing and understanding the prophecy of Simeon, perceives them to be holy and thinks thus, if, anything is going, if anyone is going to be saved, these people certainly will, for look at their great piety. Simeon comforts and warns us with these words, Beware of the hypocrites and be of good cheer. No matter how much they fast, pray, or castigate themselves, the devil is still hidden underneath. He drives them so that even though for a time they conceal their animosity, finally they break out, blaspheme God, storm against his word, trample his servants underfoot, steal, rob, and so on. In short, they are steeped in the most venial sins and the greatest malice. 
For that reason, everything they do, no matter how much it glitters and shines, is false and nothing but the devil's hypocrisy. How does this differ from the stealing and robbing that go on today as tyrants and hypocrites strip away homes and property and even the lives of many poor people who cling to the preaching of the gospel and the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ? Of course, they reply, we are not doing it for ourselves, but for the sake of God and in the church's name. No matter how you cut it, the fact is that nothing's more th that it's nothing more than stealing and robbing the poor of their lives and goods. And yet these hypocrites who rob the poor don't want to be classed as scoundrels, thieves, and robbers, but as commendable princes, honorable nobility, honest citizens, and pious upright people. Nevertheless, under the skin they are scoundrels, thieves, and robbers. Now then, in the words of this text, that that's how it would be, and just so it is also happening today. Before the gospel shed its light, they did not act like this. They insulted no one, persecuted no one, robbed no one, shed no one's blood, but were pious, virtuous, holy people. But now that the gospel has come, it has exposed the flaws and contradictions of these same pious, God-fearing people, as they now have begun to rage, persecute, rob, and murder. Still they do not want to be known as murderers, robbers, and knaves, but as God-fearing, praiseworthy, honorable, upright princes, nobility, and citizens. Such expose of men's heart is for our comfort, that we may know that everything that is not of Christ and Christ-centered is false and hypocrisy. It makes no difference that if, it, if it is a Carthusian monk or a respected, honorable, virtuous princes or nobles, men or women, how does it help that a Carthusian monk endures rigorous discipline, or that a nobleman or citizen is pious, gives many alms, or that a young woman is virtuous, when under that guise they mock and persecute God by opposing and refusing to tolerate the gospel? What good does it do if a prince lavishes gifts on the monks and the monastery, builds and endows churches, chapels, and altars, and yet remains God's enemy and a murderer of Christ? What does it help that they expect to go to heaven and yet slander God, murder and transgress all of God's commandments? As it has been said, it took the gospel to expose these sins and malice. It took the gospel to pinpoint the pure hate, envy, and persecution of God and His word. Previously, these thoughts were in people's minds, but they managed to conceal them. Their hearts were lecherous, murderous, and bloodthirsty, but this was hidden. But now it breaks out, and they commit the crimes previously lurking there. Yet they say they are not thieves, robbers, or murderers, but pious people who would do no one any harm. All of this revolves around the child Jesus, given by God, in order to expose the evil and contradiction. We have to come to understand this, for it has been prophesied by Simeon that thus it would be. For that reason we must learn from this and be assured that we can ignore all pretense and say, Everything in the world which is not of Christ, no matter how noble, how excellent, even if it shines like an angel and is designated to be holy, honorable life, virtue, discipline, honor, and so on, nevertheless, it is nothing more than cover-up for shame beneath and is the greatest malice, yes, even the devil himself lying hidden underneath. In itself, it is not bad that the world has wisdom, discipline, honor, and an upright way of life. But if one wants to offer this for God's notice, then it is nothing more than sham cover-up for the most heinous sins of blasphemy against God and persecution of His Word. It is not evil to be sensible, wise, and virtuous. 
for these are precious jewels given by God. But it is the devil's work that turns these noble gifts of God, lovely virtue, reputation, and upright way of life, into sham cover-ups for malice, while God, meanwhile, is blasphemed and his word persecuted. A virtuous maiden is a precious crown jewel, but if the same chaste maiden were to venture forth to murder her father and mother, her virtue and modesty would only be a veneer for a wicked woman, a murderess, or father and mother. So also these people appear devout and God-fearing, but under the camouflage they are wicked beyond all measure. Nothing on earth can expose and bring to light such malice except the gospel of the child Jesus. As Simeon here says, O Mary, your son will show the whole world, the best and most upstanding people whom we now regard for their wisdom and piety, to be nothing more than rogues, rascals, and murderers. Through the preaching of the gospel he will prick these individuals so that they burst and prove themselves to be arch-enemies of God and all true Christians. We are compelled to say, Shame on you, kitten. You have such smooth fur, but such sharp claws. You act like all cats. Up front you lick, behind you scratch. Therefore we should be warned that these thieves, robbers, and murderers, when the world's at its best and holiest, the devil himself is present, are far more wicked than ordinary murderers and wicked people. It's a heinous, terrible thing when a murderer kills someone on the street, but is nothing compared with that of the Pope, bishops, princes, and the like when they become murderers of the gospel. They employ all kinds of machinations and tyranny to stamp out the gospel, and the whole world, countries, cities, and so on are affected. When a thief embezzles 300 gilder, that is a great theft. But what is that compared with the theft of a big thief who, because of the gospel, drives the poor away from wives, children, homes, and property, all the while being regarded as the most reverend father, esteemed prince, pious gentleman. The heathen author Cato said, said it well, Big thieves hang little thieves. Such thieves and murderers maintain the camouflage of sanctity until Christ, through his gospel, exposes and shows them to be enemies of God and murderers of Christians. Before God, all people who are not Christians are nothing more than blasphemers of God, murderers, thieves, and knaves. It doesn't matter that in the world's estimation they are the most devout, the most gentle, the most virtuous, and the holiest of people. These people do not like being labeled thus, but we are not labeling them according to worldly standards, but by God's standards. They cannot excuse themselves before God, but must accept His judgment. The gospel reveals their malice and testifies that every, everything of this world is contrary to God and man. When an individual inwardly is a rogue toward God opposing his words and works, you can count on it that he will soon show openly that he is also a rogue toward mankind. If there is murder in the heart, the tongue and fist will soon get involved, given time and opportunity. If the fist hasn't murdered, it's not by failure of will, but because the time wasn't right or opportune. That's the way the world dealt with holy prophets, apostles, martyrs, yes, also Christ himself. For the world never lets up because it's evil by nature. For that reason we have to be aware of the fact that the world is filled with rogues, enemies of God, thieves, murderers, yes, the devil himself. That is how Simeon described them, filled with deceit, blasphemy, enmity, hatred, envious, and cruel, seeking only their own advantage. That is the way of the world, and when the time is right, they have had opportunity, these individuals break out and show people what's really inside them. So when you hear or see 
reputedly valorous or great in the... So when you hear or see something reputedly valorous or great in the world, ask yourself, is Christ there? Then very well. But if Christ is not there, then surely it is the devil. No matter what the garb, cap, robe, or fine or coarse, ornate or be meddled before the world, it may look like a piety or sanctity, but if Christ is not there, it is only an abomination before God. Simeon adds, Yes, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. This he addresses to the mother Mary. Simeon had a special word for her because she will see and experience all that he has prophesied. It is not physical ill that mother Mary will have to bear, but rather what St. Peter says of Lot, 2 Peter 2, verses 7 and 8. God delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. That was the sword that would pierce Mary's heart. Her heart would be saddened because throughout her life she would see, hear, and experience the malice of the Jews, God's chosen people, against Jesus, the Savior of the world. Before Christ began his ministry, there were seemingly pious people and God-fearing fathers, especially the Pharisees, scribes, and high priests. But as soon as Christ stepped forth with his preaching, the thoughts of their hearts were revealed. Underneath their fine, pious exteriors, they were the greatest rogues and villains who denied and rejected their Savior and King, the very Son of God, and nailed him to the cross. This pierced the heart and soul of Mary, making her heart sick to have to see and endure all this. All Christendom and Christians in every generation share this experience with Mary whenever the gospel radiates its light. The world is a wicked, vicious impostor, appearing pious and good, but under the camouflage and cover-up of piety, it traffics in murder, thievery, and every kind of malice, which only come to light through the gospel. This grieves our holy God and Christian people. It is a pain and anguish to have to see such evil in the world. The sword does not penetrate Mary's hands or feet, nor rip her body. Rather, it pierces her soul. Heartache exceeds any sorrow, and the sorrow of the soul is greater than any other. When the foot hurts, it does not mean that the hand hurts too. But since the hand is a member of the same body, it will feel sympathy. But when the soul sorrows and the heart is sad, the whole body suffers, along with every member of the body. That is why Simeon says a sword will pierce the mother's soul, and why St. Peter says that the righteous Lot's suffering was so great that his heart was distressed day and night. It is so that the world in general brings sorrow to Mother Mary, that is, to the Holy Christian Church. It is, of course, regrettable that the world continues thus to cause Christians great distress. Surely it is a sign that portends God's great wrath, which will soon be kindled. The world, however, does not de desist, but continues to provoke heartfelt sighs on the part of devout Christians. As St. Paul states in Ephesians 4, verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. It is a tender, happy situation, he says, as regards the Holy Spirit pledge that affirms unto us eternal life. Therefore take care that you do not grieve him. How does this happen? When is the Holy Spirit grieved? He is grieved when pious Christian hearts must sorrowfully observe heart-wrenching wrongs. When that happens, it must certainly portend a large measure of God's wrath. Things will never be any different in the world. A sword will pierce the soul of Christians. They will be tormented, crucified, tortured, driven to fear and suffering. 
They will preach, sing, speak, admonish, discipline, pray, plead, implore, and do what they can, but nothing changes. Their suffering continues to rend their hearts deeply. Be assured, however, the world will suffer a terrible judgment. Mother Mary and the Christian Church deserve better and ought to be left in peace, that a sword would not pierce their hearts, but that will not happen, as Simeon foretold, for many a pious lot will have to endure suffering, and so the Christian Church likewise. Nonetheless, to its dismay, the world found out that the intended hurt was changed to good. I have often said and say it again that princes, as well as peasants and average citizens, do wrong when they cause their pastors, preachers, and other devout Christians deep hurt and pain of heart. It is never good to grieve the Holy Spirit and press anguished sighs from Christian hearts. Experience proves that nothing good will come of this. The epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 7, states, Obey them that have the rule over you, submit yourselves, for they watch out for your souls, as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. The example of Lot is a powerful reminder. The Sodomites plagued him, sending a sword to his heart, but what happened? As soon as Lot had left Sodom, fire and brimstone rained on Sodom to sink it deep into the earth. And what of our Sodom? What shall I say? It not only does wrong and sins knowingly and outrageously against God's commandment, but also grieves the Holy Spirit, forcing a sword through the heart of Mother Mary that is our dear Christian Christendom. God will not forever remain silent about this. This gospel lesson, then, has treated two topics which we ought to note well. The first, whatever is not of Christ must be of the devil, no matter how well it is camouflaged with a covering of godliness. The second, people should take care not to grieve the Holy Spirit, causing Mother Mary to have a sword pierce her heart, that is, causing devout Christians to be troubled by what they do. That it will happen, that a sword will pierce the heart of the mother, Simeon foretold. But blessed are those who are not guilty of that. On the other hand, damned are those by whom that evil comes. So much on this lesson for the time being. Amen. This was Martin Luther's sermon on the first Sunday after Christmas, preached at the parish church in 1535.